Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host, Amanda Arriaga, First Latina Bar President. This podcast is made possible by the Texas Bar Foundation. Our guest today is Paul Carmona, famous baritone and the first Hispanic Austin Young Lawyers Association president. Paul's a graduate of Princeton University and the University of Texas School of Law and famously brought the assault and flattery program that delighted so many law students to the grown-up attorneys of Austin in the form of Bar and Grill and now the Bar and Grill Singers. Paul has worked in both the public and private sector and currently serves as the director of the Regulatory Integrity Division of the Texas Workforce Commission. I'm so happy to have today my old friend, Paul Carmona. Hi, Paul. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Amanda. I'm glad to be here. I want to start out at the beginning. Why did you want to be a lawyer? Good question. I went to college not knowing what I wanted to do, although as a youngster, um, I did go to see one of my uncles in court. He was an attorney in Galveston, Texas. His name was Frank Carmona. He was also a graduate of the University of Texas School of Law. My father was one of eight siblings, all raised in Galveston, Texas, and um, his parents were from Mexico. My grandparents were born and raised in Mexico, emigrated to the United States. My grandfather died before he became a, uh, an American citizen, but my grandmother did become a naturalized citizen in the, in the 1960s. And um, as I said, my father was one of eight. And all of them went on to, all of the aunts and all the uncles and one aunt went on to um, different careers. My father was a pharmacist. Another was, a couple of more were um, officers in the U.S. military. And this one uncle, uh, Frank Carmona, was a lawyer. And so we happened to be, be visiting Galveston, and my dad took me and my sister down to watch him in court. So I watched him in court, and I thought, well, that's impressive. I, maybe I'll be a lawyer someday. Um, and uh, he... My uncle Frank Carmona went on to become a county commissioner and then ultimately a state district judge in Galveston, Texas. He's passed away now, but um, but at the time as a youngster, I thought that must have been where my inspiration to become a lawyer came from, was watching him in court. Well, and you must have had different opportunities that presented themselves at Princeton, being more liberal artsy. Yeah. And it seems like you sort of have married artiness and the the structure of being a lawyer. Right. With what you turned out to be when you grew up. Yes. Well, there were certainly other opportunities at Princeton and, and um, you know, as I said, I went off to college there not really knowing what I wanted to do as for a career. Uh, it seemed like the logical next step was to apply to graduate school. I knew I was not cut out to for the rigors of medical school, um, perhaps business school, but ultimately law school at the University of Texas seemed like a logical choice. So I applied University of Texas, took the LSAT, got into Texas and decided, well, I guess that's the next step for me. But sort of my whole career has been, as I've described it before, as a stick on a stream, which is I just go where it takes me. Sometimes <laughs> I bump into rocks and over a waterfall, but I just kind of go where it takes me and try not to try not to rudder in one direction or another. I just kind of go with the flow. And that's really what happened from the beginning of my career, starting in college. In fact, you want to go before that is even applying to Princeton to begin with uh, was was almost a mistake. Uh, I mean, I obviously did it intentionally, but I had no intention ever of applying to Princeton or any other school outside of Texas, um, but did apply there, went on to college there. And then, as I said, the rest was just going with the flow. I mean, you ended up, if you're a stick on a stream, you're either a really fancy stick or you ended up in a really fancy stream. I just got lucky. Well, I don't believe that. I believe that Princeton must have seen something. You must have been wildly talented and 
had great grades. And then UT law also requires their students to be wildly talented and have great grades. Yes. So you graduate from UT law and you decided to stick around in Austin. I did. And that was another stick on a stream uh, (laughs) scenario where I had never planned to work or live in Austin. I was was born in Austin when my father was in college here at the University of Texas, but, um, but was raised in Dallas and had planned to return probably to Dallas. But then in the, um, or actually I wanted to go work in Washington, D.C. And I had a job offer from law school to go work at a firm in Washington. And I really did think that's where my career was going. But uh, my father passed away when I was my second year of law school. And so I thought, you know, it's just me and my sister. And so I thought, well, I I probably shouldn't stray too far from home. Um, So, but I decided I didn't want to go back to Dallas. Houston, San Antonio really, really weren't in it for me, small towns in Texas either. So Austin seemed like the logical choice to stay. And so my third year of law school in the fall, I was scrambling trying to find a job in Austin and was lucky enough to get a job offer at a firm here in Austin. And that's where I started. And 30 some years later, I'm still here. Well, and it seems lucky you decided to stay in Austin, found a job, and then you found a community, I assume, when you joined the Austin Lawyers Association. That's right. What drove you to AYLA? I really can't remember what's prompted me to sign up for a committee um, or to work in the bar. Um, probably other associates in the firm where I was working mentioned something about either a happy hour or something like that. So I went, I signed up to be on a couple of committees with the Austin Young Lawyers. I joined the Austin Young Lawyers Association and at the time the Travis County Bar Association. And, um, and then there was some form or paperwork, you know, sign up to be on a committee. So I signed up to be on two committees. Um, I can't remember the first one, but I remember the second one was the Public Relations Committee or something similarly named. And I remember the chair of that committee was a lawyer by the name of Tom Anton. And so I went to these meetings and um, I don't really remember the project we were working on. I was, this was early in my, this is about 1989. This is a while ago. And, uh, but I do remember that at the end of the year, Tom said that he had been hosting a television program called Ask an Attorney, which was on Travis County Television. So it's local cable access TV, kind of like Wayne's World, right? <laughs> and and um, Tom asked me if I would host that program. And because he was retiring from hosting that, it was a live TV show. And again, it's cable access, so limited audience, but still it was a little daunting. And I said, well, sure, I'd never done that before, but I'll give it a go. So I started hosting the Ask an Attorney television program. Um, and then at some point was prompted to run for the board of directors of AYLA. So I ran for the board, got nominated, elections happened. I was elected to the board and then went on from there. And at some point, shifting from you know being sort of a passive member on a committee to then hosting your own talk show to be on the board, at some point the commitment grows. Yes. So when did you decide you wanted to be the leader of AYLA? After serving on the board for a year, I was inspired by the other leaders around me, other attorneys around me, like Scott Osmond, the late Judge Scott Osmond, um, Jeff Rusk, Joanne Merica, 
and many others. There were lots of, but they were the ones that come to mind because they were the presidents ahead of me. Um, and so the natural progression was to run from the board for an officer position, treasurer, secretary, something like that. And when I looked, when I sat and talked to my other peers who were directors like me, none of them were interested in running for press. <laughs> and they said, no, you should do it. So I served one year on the board before running for president and ran unopposed wow. and became president of AYLA at the ripe old age of probably 26, 28, something like that, 26 or 27. I was pretty young and I hadn't been involved in the bar much because it was literally a year on the committees, then a year on the board, and then a year as a president-elect and then president. Did you know when you became president that you would be the first Hispanic president? I didn't. Do you think, was it anything that y'all talked about at the time? It was not. No, I, no one mentioned it to me. In fact, I'm being completely honest with you, until you brought it up to me very recently, I was unaware that I was the first Hispanic president of the Austin Young Awards Association. Yeah, it's funny. That's sort of why we started this podcast is I did not know I was the first Hispanic female president until, you know, two days before my term started and we happened to look at the list. Yeah. And then Debbie Kelly said, you know, I bet you were the first Hispanic female young lawyer president, too. Right. And in a town like Austin, where we love diversity and spotlighting people. That's right. We forget to do that sometimes. That's right. So I'm glad that you know now um, so that we can celebrate you in future episodes. We'll celebrate Toya, who will have been the first African-American president, because um, I think these are good things to celebrate. You know, I, I feel like it's an awkward thing sometimes if you are the minority that, you know, to celebrate, like, isn't that cool that yeah. I happen to be Hispanic and leadering? Right. But I do think that these are worthwhile discussions to bring back so that the kids know. I agree. You know, that these are important milestones. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in a household where my parents spoke Spanish. The Spanish was their first language for both of my parents. My, my mother's parents were not born in Mexico, but they were born and raised in South Texas and ultimately spoke very little English. They were, they were South Texas Hispanic Catholics with lots of kids. And my, my mother says she mostly learned English in school. Um, and so... Um, I never really, although I grew up in a Spanish speaking household, it was mostly my parents speaking to each other when they didn't want me and my sister to understand what they were saying. <laughs> so they didn't converse with us in Spanish very much. My grandmothers did. Both of my grandfathers were long to see, so I only knew my grandmothers, but they spoke a good amount of Spanish to me. Um, and then my aunts and uncles, of course, speaking Spanish to each other. So um, although I identified as a youngster, and through high school and college and law school as Hispanic, and Carmona clearly as a Hispanic surname, um, I never really thought of myself as a Hispanic Princeton student or Hispanic law student or Hispanic. I was members of those organizations, the Hispanic law students and so on. But I, I just thought of myself as first a Princeton student or a law student or a lawyer, and then second as Hispanic lawyer or something like that. Um, and that's not to de denigrate the culture uh, or my, my heritage, but simply when I, was, when I was with my family, we didn't sit around thinking of ourselves as Hispanics. We were just people, right? We were just a family. And so when you go on to your college degree, your career and your law degree career and, and so on, 
um, I think it's it's natural to think of yourself as I'm a lawyer, mm -hmm. I'm a college student, I'm a doctor, I'm a whatever you are, and then secondarily, of course, you don't forget your heritage. Like, you know, I don't I don't think many of our peers think of themselves as I'm a Catholic lawyer, I'm a Presbyterian lawyer, I'm a Jewish lawyer. Right? That's religion. Race is obviously something that's more obvious on its face, right? You can look at someone and say, Hispanic male, Hispanic female, African-American female, so on. Um, but I, I, I doubt that many of my peers or our peers in African-American, Hispanic, and other cultures think of themselves primarily as, I'm a Hispanic person. Mm -hmm. Think of yourself as a person. Right. Anyway. So that that never really entered my mind. Going back to your first question, was I aware that I was the first Hispanic president of AYLA? I was not, and it was not something anyone discussed at the time. Then you mentioned Toya. I remember meeting her and encouraging her to get involved and run for the board and do things like that. Ultimately, she went on to leadership positions as well. I wasn't actively recruiting her to say, Toya, we need more African-American women in leadership positions. She just clearly stood out as someone who had leadership qualities and characteristics, and there were just there was just something about her that you looked at her and said, "She's got it. She's she's a leader," and so that's why I encouraged her to do those things. And I I remember back in in when I was working at the firm and I was participating in interviews at University of Texas Law School. Um, we interviewed some. Uh, I've forgotten her her name before she was married, but we interviewed a young woman who was just spectacular and just it, she walked out of the room and the partner that I was there with because I was a young associate. She walked out of the room and the partner I was with said she's hired, and it was something about her. Well, she was a young African American law student, but I didn't think of her as. We need more African-American lawyers. It was just clearly she was going to be an outstanding attorney because of her personality and her confidence in herself. Um, so anyway, I'm, I've rambled on a little bit about that. No, it's great. Part of, um, I had wanted to ask you about Toya because I do think part of what's important to get leaders in general, as you've described, is you have to identify talent right. and then invite them to come along for the ride. Sure. And so did you... Did you consciously do that with Toya and others to make sure that you were growing the new leaders, whether or not they were diverse leaders or not? Yes, I did. I did that. I, I, I encouraged others who were either on the board or who were active in committees or who I associated with at bench bar conferences or the bar and grill show or other things like that. I encouraged them and looked at them and said, you clearly... You, you need to get involved. You need to get involved in the Bar Association or you need to get involved more in this project like Bench Bar Conference or something like that because we need people like you. We need people like you to take leadership in our organization. And so I did encourage others like that. Yeah, that's great. I think that's the origin story of so many of these people that go on to be great leaders. Yes. Because you have to feel like you're a part of the community in order to be invited to join on the committees and then you stay because you start making a difference. Right. And you know, I, I honestly think that that's part of how I ended up where I ended up, which was besides the stick on the stream analogy, is that I think Tom Anson must have seen something in me, um, which was mostly just showing up. I just showed up for meetings. You know, you'd see, 
this is back in the days before text message. Nobody had cell phones, so we weren't texting, reading notices. We didn't even have email. There was usually a, a, a letter or a fax that went out uh, announcing we're, our next meeting is at such and so, and this is our agenda. And so it was easy to just forget about it, but I made it a point to go to those meetings. And so I showed up at all of the meetings, and I think Tom must have recognized some something in me uh, and said, you know, we can you take this on? And I think ultimately I chaired maybe the next year of that project committee, whatever it was called, public relations committee or something like that, while I was doing the Ask an Attorney television program. And so ultimately I ended up in those leadership positions because someone ahead of me recognized that. And then when I made it onto the board, people like Joanne Merica, Scott Osmond, Jeff Rusk and others recognized that in me and sort of lifted me up and brought me along and said, you need to step into a leadership position. I'm encouraging you to do that. And so without their encouragement, I probably would have said, well, I've served my term on the board. I'm going to go back to doing something else. So at some point it became commonplace that if you were an AYLA president, you would then join the big bar yeah. and ultimately be the big bar president. Right. And you took a slightly different path, still being involved in organizations that are important to you. What are those organizations and why are they so important? Well, I'm, I'm, I actually stopped my heavy involvement in the bar with the Young Lawyers. I, was, I worked my way up to the TYLA, the Texas Young Lawyers Association Board of Directors. I was on that board. And I was uh, ultimately became the chair of the board for TYLA. And I was active in the ABA Young Lawyers Division too for a number of years. Um, and then I, in 2001, ran a marathon. And that took a lot of time to train for the marathon. I was also active in the Bar and Grill Show, as you mentioned. Um, but it took a lot of time to train for the marathon. And I suddenly found a new passion, which was distance running. And I started running a lot more. I got involved in local running clubs and local running groups and became active in those groups and ended up on the board of the Austin Runners Club. Um, again, it was just like with the Bar Association Club. Um, somebody recognized something in me and said, we need leaders like you on the ARC Austin Runners Club board. So would you run for the board? And I ran for the board and was active there. And then went on to, it's a very long story, but ultimately I founded a, a marathon club in Austin that still exists and I'll be running with them tomorrow morning um, called 26.2 Marathon Club. 26.2 is obviously, 26.2 mm -hmm. is the distance of a marathon. Um, I founded that club in 2004, shortly after my tenure with Bar Association activities ended. <clears throat> and... Um, have since worked with that organization for now almost 20 years. And we, our primary mission at the time was to coach first time women marathoners. And it was, this was not my idea. This was a group of other runners who came to me and said, Hey, you run marathons. And we have this idea because we think women marathoners should have a, a group and have encouragement to run. These are first time, they had never run a marathon before. And we wanna encourage women runners to take on the distance and the training to run a marathon. And then the idea was that the next year, they would train another new group and another new group. And over the years, those first time women marathoners would move up into leadership positions in the organization. And I'm happy to say 
that uh, in 2010, which was five or six years after we started, there was a group that was very active. They were all very special. There were 10 or 11 of them. And one of those members in that 2010 group who ran her first marathon was Jessica Mangrum, who's now an attorney. I mean, and now a judge, mm -hmm. a Travis County judge. And Jessica um, also now serves on the board of that marathon. It's a nonprofit. And so the vision, the original vision, which was to take first-time marathoners, train them to run a marathon, encourage them to become active in an organization, and then go on to leadership or positions in that organization, it worked. And we've had a number of presidents over the years who were all former first-timers in that group. So my energy and everything that was related to the Bar Association, Bar Activities, Service to the Public, Service to the Bar, it's now serving essentially the public, but in a different way with this marathon group. And that, and now I've since moved on to coaching marathoners. And at the, at the present, I'm coaching over 200, I think, marathoners. And most of them are remote. It's, it's online coaching, and I'm coaching people all over the country, um, and some in Canada and other countries. So it's, it's, it's turned up. I've been accused of always needing something to do. Right. And so I, that's definitely something that I do, which is, it's not law related. It's purely a hobby, which is running and coaching marathoners. And just this past Saturday, uh, six days ago, I ran my 80th marathon out in Salt Lake City. So, Paul, you have worked in the public and private sector throughout yes. the years. Do you think it's important to have both perspectives to be a well-rounded attorney? I don't think it's necessary to do both to be well-rounded. But I will say that for many people, working in both private and public sectors uh, is helpful for seeing a larger perspective in the practice of law. And by that, I mean, um, in private practice, I had a real-life person who walked into my office. Uh, now, I did have corporate clients and corporate you know, representatives that I dealt with, but I had occasionally clients and it was their real problem. This was like, this is my business or this is my home. I went to trial on a case with a, a, a husband and wife who had a pool built in their backyard and it damaged their property and they had some issues with it. And I represented these people with a real live problem in their backyard. And so representing a real person who says, I have a problem, can you help me? Well, that's what I went to law school for, was to help people with their legal problems, um, not representing some corporate giant on some esoterical issue. So that, that gave me perspective on real life practice of law, which is that we, we, our job is to resolve conflicts and help people with their legal problems. And, and that gave me that perspective. Working for the state is a little bit different. Working in the public sector, you're, you don't have a individual client. Your client is the state of Texas or a state agency or something like that. And But the difference there is that you're trying to get to justice. Not so much like prosecutors say their, their, job, their goal is to achieve justice, but your goal is not necessarily to help one individual or one person, or you're trying to work for the benefit of the people the state of Texas, what's best for the people of the state of Texas, all of the people. So you're wearing a slightly different hat in that perspective. Again, you might be representing a specific agency, right? And you might even be in court against an, another individual suing that agency. 
but still your ultimate client is the public, the state of Texas. And so that gives you a definitely different perspective. The other difference in perspective is you, you're not concerned with billable hours. You know, everything that you do obviously has a real specific purpose as opposed to, well, I need to build time. I need to go into the office to, to work on something so I can get my billable hours up, right? That, that was heavy as a young associate in a law firm. But um, in the public sector, it's, it doesn't matter how long it takes. I don't have a client looking over my shoulder saying, your bills are too high. And it doesn't matter if it only takes me an hour to resolve it. I don't need to lengthen the conflict in order to get more billable hours out of it. You know what I mean? It's, I've resolved the problem. Mm -hmm. Case is over. Matters resolved. So you do get two different perspectives in the public and the private sector. And I worked in the private sector, then the public sector, then the private sector mm -hmm. again, and now back in the public sector. So, and that's probably where I'll retire is in the public sector. And so it, I do think it has shaped me differently as, as an attorney to see two different perspectives through my career rather than just one. Well, it's interesting, this focus on representing a real person, I have been a policy attorney pretty much my whole career. And then during COVID when I volunteered for VLS for some of the clinics, and yeah. now I have an actual person with an actual problem and I have to solve it. Right. I never for felt more inadequate because when you're trying to change the laws and things are in the aggregate, you know, it's truth and justice right. and we can make a difference, but it's not the one person that if I mess up because I didn't pay attention right. that I would impact. And so I do agree that having that experience of representing a real person is a totally different mind shift, even if you're totally competent and capable in every other area. Talking to the person and looking in their face is very different. That's exactly right. And, and as it so happens, just this week, um, I'm... I was representing an individual in a matter. And that's because although I work for the state, we can get permission from our general counsel and our executive director to take non-paying matters to help friends or family members on some minor legal issues. And so I was working on something. like, And we have to use our personal time. We can't use state time. We have to take leave to work on that. We can't use state resources. I have to use my personal email address, my personal cell phone. And, that's, and if I have to go to court, I have to take leave to go to court. So I got all that clearance, but I'm helping a... a a person with a real legal problem. And um, I, I think we finally resolved it, but that keeps me connected to my job is to help this person. I am this person's attorney and my job is to work this problem out. And I've done that off and on through my career as a public servant. And, you know, again, I did it for someone else maybe about a year ago. And it was someone who got jilted out of their, their renter's deposit from a landlord. And I had to make the demand, and I got the person something like eight hundred dollars back, which was real money to that person. You know, I I I need this eight hundred dollars, and so I wrote a demand letter, spoke to the landlord on the phone, said, you know, we're going to sue you, and so on. And uh, we got the eight hundred dollars back, and I did it for free because I was just helping someone, and that was a real live person with a real problem, mm -hmm. and my job was to represent that person and get the get the resolution, as opposed to some esoteric federal law regulation issue that I deal with most of the time in my current career. What advice would you give to attorneys who want to get involved and don't know how? Go to a meeting. Um, show up. Show up is show up is the number one thing is find out when there is a meeting, whether it's and it might just be for especially for young lawyers, it's the happy hours. Go to the happy hour, meet strangers, meet someone, ask 
who's the president? Is the president of your organization here? And if the president or the vice president or the treasurer or one of the officers or one of the board members is there, is to go to that person and say, is, is, is there something I can do to be active in this organization? Here's my interest. I'm happy to work on anything I want to work on your social committee, your fundraising committee, your outreach committee, your whatever committee, right? Because that's what the leaders are looking for is other people. You know, as well as I do, that when you're in a leadership position, you rely on all the other members to carry out the activities or the organization. And you crave people who show up willing to work, willing to volunteer their time. And so if you are a young attorney or not so young attorney out in the legal community and you're looking to be involved in your local bar association, the number one thing to do is show up, go to a meeting, go to a function, ask who are some of your leaders here? Have someone point them out. I think that's Amanda. I think she's the president. She'll talk to you and then walk up and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Paul. I'm an attorney in Austin. I understand, Amanda, you're the president of the organization. Yes, I am. I'm interested in getting more involved. Can I give you my name and cell phone number, email address, and contact me if there's something I can do? And I guarantee you, Amanda will contact you because she doesn't care whether you're willing to work on X, Y, or Z. She just needs someone who's willing to work, and that person will pull you in, and that person will become, that leader will become to you what Tom Anson was for me years, 20 something years ago when he said, Hey, would you be willing to take on this project next year? And I said, sure. And that really was the gateway for me to get involved more in the bar association. So that's number one, show up, meet someone, offer yourself to one of the leaders. And I guarantee you they'll, they'll, they'll loop you in on something really soon. Well, I'm going to use your story now as the example Committee one year, board of directors one year, president-elect by year three. So you're the example. If you show up and there is a vacuum of leadership, they will give it to you. Yeah, I just, while we were talking, I remembered my, my participation level. And it was 80, I graduated in 88 from law school. So I started in the fall of 88. And somewhere in 1989, the fall, is when I volunteered to work on this committee. So I worked probably 89 to 90. And then the next year, 90-91, I was getting more involved in this committee. It was the next year that one of the, one of the committees that I raised my hand for was the first bench bar committee. And it was, that was in March or May, sometime in the spring of 1991. And so I went to that, I worked on a committee that was the entertainment committee for the first bench bar conference at the Del Lago Resort in the spring of 1991. And I worked with Claude DeClue, Joanne Merica, and others on a Follies production for that Bench Bar Conference. That caught my eye, Bench Bar Entertainment Committee. Well, that was 91. And it was 92 that I became the president-elect of AYLA. So I was on the board in 1991, president-elect 92, and then president 93 to 94, somewhere in that time period. So it was a real short runway, but I, re I couldn't remember what was the other committee. It was a bench bar. Mm -hmm. And we did the Follies in the spring of 91. And there was such a popular, positive response to this little show that we did 
that that became in September of 1992, about a little more, not quite a year and a half later, the first Barn Girls show, which at the time was called the the Travis County Bar Law Review, R-E-V-U-E, I think is what it was called, the very first one, because it wasn't called Bar and Grill till the second year. Well, we haven't had an entertainment committee as part of Bench Bar for a while, so I'm going to ask the committee if they want to bring that back. They should. They should bring that back. Yeah. What's next for you? At some point soon, probably retirement. Uh, believe it or not, I've, I've reached retirement age with the state of Texas. Now, I'm continuing to work. I haven't retired yet. But I was eligible to retire more than a year ago and uh, continued working. So I'm eligible to retire from the state, and I could retire and see another job somewhere. But I'm still working full-time for the state of Texas. And um, um, so I don't know if that retirement will come in two years, two months, five years, eight years. I'm just still kind of like a stick on the stream, which is I just kind of go where the flow. And by the way, you, you'd introduce me as the director of the uh, Regulatory Integrity Division. Mm -hmm. I actually am not any longer. Oh. It was fairly recently our executive director of the Texas Workforce Commission asked me to work on his staff. So I left that position and my deputy became the director, but I've moved to the executive director staff. So I've, I'm counsel to the executive director um, at, at the Texas Workforce Commission. So still practicing law. Just I went from managing 200 people to managing zero people and having one client, which is really the executive director. My At the time when I was in charge of a division, I technically wasn't practicing law and wasn't supposed to practice law because I had a non-attorney position in the agency. Now I have an attorney position in the agency and I have one client and that's the executive director. So it's um, still the same agency, just slightly different job. Yes. And, and I like doing what I'm doing, and I, I do. I handle legal matters for for the agency, really more technically, technically for the executive director. Um, but I don't have any current plans to retire anytime soon. I, I just know I'm eligible. Will you keep making music and keep running? I will certainly keep running and keep ma making music. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm admiring all the sound equipment here that the bar's got for this project. And um, I have similar type of equipment at home and record, still doing music recording with the Bar and Grill Singers. And um, uh, as far as running, yes, I'm, I'll be running another marathon next, in about a month in November. And we'll be running the 14th Boston Marathon next April. So yeah, keep running, keep coaching, keep making music, keep practicing law, keep seeing where the stream leads next. I'm going to, your hashtag of this episode, I do think is going to be meet strangers. <laughs> so you'll keep running and keep singing, but also meet strangers. Meet strangers. Keep meeting strangers. Yeah. And you know, at one point, Amanda, you and I were strangers. Yes. And you showed up for the Bar and Grill show, which had been going on for a number of years. And your energy, which is obvious to the people who brought you to a leadership position, right? Your energy was obvious right away in the Bar and Grill show. And so you became active in the Bar and Grill and now you're one of the leaders in the Bar and Grill show. I've since retired technically from the Bar and Grill show, um, but I still like performing. But that's, you did exactly what I'm talking about. You just showed up and you met strangers and you said, I wanna do this, this interests me and I wanna be involved and look where it's taking me. Well, thank you for all you have done for the bar, for the young lawyers, for a bar and grill, which you know that I love. Yes. For the state of Texas and for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next time.